0: What are you waiting for? Welcome to This Is Not A Dress Rehearsal Podcast. Stop holding your breath waiting for perfect conditions before you move through the world. Tune in for real stories of real people who understand the freedom to live well. Your host, Bonnie Sewell, is a veteran wealth manager with 12 grandchildren, helping clients over the last 30 years enjoy their wealth. You can listen to all podcasts at www.americancapitalplanning.com podcast, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Jennifer Seven is the owner of Seven Company Weight Loss and Wellness Center in Loudoun County, Virginia. She is a certified holistic nutritionist, a meditation teacher who chose to combine her passion for helping others with her knowledge of nutrition and health. She built a successful company that focuses on teaching others how to lose weight, regain health and happiness, and keep it off. Seven Company Weight Loss and Wellness is an award winning weight loss center. She's an international best selling author of Unbreakable Spirit. She's a certified Reiki. Two practitioner. She'll correct my uh, pronunciation of that. Deepak Chopra's meditation teacher. Jennifer practices mindfulness meditation and Kundalini. Am I saying that right?
2: Yes. Yoga. yes.
1: Yoga in her personal life and teaches meditation in her center. She received her bachelor's degree from Goucher College. Yep. And her master's
2: degree from George Washington University. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Bonnie. It's just so exciting to be here with you today. I'm thrilled you're joining us.
1: It feels like so many people are waiting for, quote, something when it comes to weight loss, as if there's going to be a perfect time. So Jennifer, I looked at my calendar for 2021, and it sure looks like there is a reason to celebrate no less than every 30 to 45 days, some kind of candy holiday. And that's not including potential vaccine parties. <laughs> in working with over four, uh, a thousand people to help them lose weight, what would you say to someone who's stalling taking care of their health in 2021?
2: Oh, Bonnie, it's so true. It's as a society we celebrate everything with food, and you're right. When you look at the calendar, there's always a reason to celebrate. There's New Year's, there's Valentine's, there's the politics, there's arts cry or be happy. There's Mother's Day birthdays, Fourth of July. There's always a reason to eat. So we have to really take a look at that and look at ourselves personally and decide, well, why do we want to lose weight and what's going to compel us to actually take action? And Having worked with so many people for so many years, I'd like to say that it's you, you have to figure out what your own personal emergency is that's going to give you enough motivation to really do this because it's not easy. Weight loss is not easy. So many people, when they come into us for the first time, they have a very compelling reason. Maybe it's a health reason, maybe it's an event that's coming up, Uh, maybe it's a reunion or a wedding or. Right now, it might be the COVID-19 pounds that we are all putting on, but there has to be some kind of compelling reason that's actually gonna make you take action, your personal emergency. That's a great way to think about
1: it. You know, out of all the small businesses that you could have built, because clearly you're a successful businesswoman in addition to helping people do what you do, why did you choose weight loss?
2: Thank you for asking that. Really, I think it's my family history. My mother was one of eight children and six boys, two girls. And the men, we lost so many of them from heart disease. And my mother herself suffered from high blood pressure and, and had some strokes. And so I think I grew up with an awareness that health is really important. And I was always very interested in it. I. Actually, was a candy striper in high school. (laughs) I I know what that is. (laughs) Uh, And I really think, looking back, that one of my paths could have been to have gone into medicine, but I I went in a different direction. But you know, some years later, you end up circling back. And uh, I actually started out with a a health and wellness company where we were setting up corporate events for companies. And it really got me interested again in in health and wellness. And I was learning more about it from a holistic side rather than just traditional medicine and meeting so many interesting people. And my company actually got into doing biometric screenings. So we'd go into companies and do blood pressures, cholesterol, glucose testing. And then we have about five minutes to give everybody the results a lot of people were struggling with having gained weight, perhaps their blood sugars were high, they were pre-diabetic, diabetic, and they would always ask me, well, what do I do? And our answer was very rote. We'd say, see your doctor and diet and exercise. Next. <laughs>
1: Sounds like save, save more, move, You know, uh,
2: spend less. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, and I found that I really just wanted to help people more on a one-on-one basis. I wanted to really help people individually. So I started doing some research and looking into weight loss and weight loss programs. And also from my corporate work, knowing that corporations were dealing with obesity and diabetes as as an epidemic problem. It is epidemic in our country. And so I found more and more, I really wanted to help people. So I did a lot of research until I found the program that we offer. We use the ideal protein weight loss method, which is scientifically based. It was really important to me to have a science-based program. I did not want to offer a fad. There are so many fads out there and uh, lose weight fast schemes. <laughs> and that, I just did not want that to be me. So when I found the program that I did, uh, it was pretty new into the United States, but it had been around a long time, uh, developed by a doctor and really more of a metabolic makeover than just uh, diet. We are taught, just eat less and exercise more and all your problems will be solved. And it is not about that at all. It's really the makeup of what we are eating. Through the work that we're doing, we, we do so much education of, about food and how your body responds to foods. It's, it's really a different scenario than, than just, oh, just you know, close your mouth and stop eating and go out and run around. <laughs>
1: I do think, yes, I do think our industries share that sort of big challenge in terms of uh, you'd think that eating would be the most natural thing in the world. You have to do it to survive. And yet it is in our current uh, society, very, very confusing. I think it, my my traveling uh, to other countries where they slow the meals down and they eat natural food versus processed food and um, they socialize uh, in a different way, not so much with screens at a meal. There's just, but you'd think it'd be so easy and it's not. And, and in our industry, money, the currency, the thing you use to do anything in our society is still so confusing to people. So uh, I I, I love that you're trying to solve the problem for people. And I myself have continued and continue to be challenged by keeping weight off. I, I can lose it with the best of them, but then um, I, it always seems to come back on when my life gets too busy. So what's your best advice for changing that sort of repetitive result?
2: And, and again, you are not alone. We all struggle with it, myself included, especially over the holidays. And, and it's so often to give, it's so easy to give yourself a pass, like, well, I'll just not worry about it till after the holidays. And then after the holidays, you're like, why, why didn't I worry about it a little bit more? (laughs) It's now the scale's way up. I think, through what we're educating people to do is it's about paying attention. And I know personally that when I stop getting on the scale every day, I start avoiding it, that that's when I'm going to get in trouble because I just say, I'm not going to look at it for a while. And then when I ultimately do, I'm so mad at myself for not paying more attention. So some tips that I would give is weigh yourself every day. Just need to be paying attention. And we've also found through a lot of studies that that those that are more successful at keeping it off, once they've lost it, they continue to use a food journal. So. You'll hear it in any program that you go on. You have to write down what you're eating in order to lose weight. You have to know what you're eating. But then what happens is when you get to your goal, you're like, woohoo, I don't have to pay attention anymore. I've done it. And it begins to creep back on. And it's so easy to lose track of what you're eating. I mean, I don't remember what I had for dinner last night. So Uh, so we have to pay attention. And then we also recommend that you identify, I, I like to, to use the analogy of a traffic light. You know, you have that yellow light, which is slow down, and then the red light, which is full stop. So when we're coaching clients, we say once they've hit their goal, okay, we don't ever want you to, we really want you to try not to ever gain more than 10 pounds. So at five pounds, that would be your yellow light. Start slowing down. When you get to that 10 pounds, you need to stop and you need to maybe do a little tune up. And putting uh, those numbers where you can see them on your scale, tape it to your scale and say, okay, when I hit this number, uh uh-oh, I better slow down. When I hit this number, full stop. Those are just tips to help. Life does get in the way, stress, emotions, all of that. But those are a couple of really powerful tools. If you use them, that will help. We just tend to start to become unconscious about our eating.
1: You know, those are great tips. And I I, I bet you see this too, um, because you've you've said weigh yourself every day. But remember, the dieter is fairly fragile in some ways, at least at the early part. And isn't it true that by weighing yourself every day, especially as a woman, you're going, you should expect to see ups and downs and keep going anyway, right? So setting the expectation that it will go up and down, but to keep on your plan versus, say, getting frustrated and
2: quitting. Absolutely. And and honestly, we tell our our clients not to weigh themselves every day when they're on the weight loss phase, Mm -hmm. like just once a week, because you can get so obsessed and also very discouraged. It's like one week, you know, maybe you've lost a couple pounds and then like three or four days goes by and nothing. Or like you said, something, it goes up and you're like, oh no, I'm failing at this. It's misery. And then sometimes what happens is, you quit altogether because you're like, well, I was doing my best, it didn't work, so just forget the whole thing. Or a lot of people do the Friday, they do the weekend eat. (laughs) So they've been doing pretty good, they get to Friday, they have some deviations, and then Saturday, maybe a few more, and then they just say, well, you know what, just forget it, I'll start after, the holidays. (laughs) This happens often. The next deadline. The next deadline. It it starts, I always say it starts with Halloween, the slippery slope, and it just goes downhill. But what I want people to know is, like you were saying, just pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and just keep going. Just don't give up. Put yourself first. Don't beat yourself up. We all make mistakes. Life happens. It's normal. Uh, Just like you said, just keep going. Just one foot in front of the other, as you said, ups and downs, but you want to just keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, great. Well, let's focus on the small business aspect for a few minutes. Okay. You own and operate a small business, as do I. And we're having this conversation in January of 2021. So we're still in a COVID surge, yet another one. What impact has COVID-19 had on your business?
2: Yes. Wow. What a year 2020 has been. Uh, it's Was very difficult. So, uh, in March, is when all of this came crashing down. We are a client facing business, and we were always seeing people every week face to face come in, let's do your body composition, let's meet with your coach, talk about your struggles, make a plan, pick up your food. And suddenly, nobody's coming out anywhere. And I not only had to worry about losing business, but I had to worry about my staff. And it was really stressful, really, really stressful. So we made the decision to actually close physically at the end of March. And at that point, I thought, well, in a month or so, we'll, we'll reopen. But suddenly it was about, okay, I've got to teach my coaches how we can do this virtually. So, And they weren't really up on their technology. So we're, lo- we're using Zoom or FaceTime or whatever we can do to still keep that face-to-face contact with our clients. I was really fortunate because uh, the company that we get our our uh, products from, they were willing to switch it up and ship directly to the clients. In the past, it had always been, it would come to the center and then we'd, we'd give it out to the clients. So that was huge. If they had not done that, I don't know how I would have survived. But so as we, you know, continued down this path and I, I there were clients that we just lost because of the stress and the financial concerns, but we had some that we kept and kept them going and uh, my lease was actually up and this was a blessing in a lot of ways my my lease was up at the end of July so I had to make the tough decision not I kind of was looking for a reason not to renew it but I was afraid that I would lose all my clients that loved coming in but this really taught them that we could do this differently so I, I, I gave up my, my lease and now we are uh, really 100% virtual and it's working, it's different. There's less overhead. I would say we have less overall business but probably a little bit more profitable when you look at everything.
1: I'm really glad to hear your, your adaptation of the situation and technology. We, we have been remote ourselves since 2014, and I, I really believe that all we did in this period was move everybody forward faster, and it's exciting to reimagine things. And, uh, and lifestyle-wise, if you're trying to change your lifestyle through weight loss, and you have the ability to do it from the comfort of your home, that's a pretty exciting development too, right?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Well, let's take COVID out of it. Building a successful small business is no walk in the park anyway. And the weight loss industry is really competitive, like like many. But what has contributed to your success? Because you do such a bang-up business here locally, and I know you're even known outside the area. So tell us the distinctions between you and some of the bigger companies that are in your space.
2: Well, for me, I've always wanted to provide the very best customer service that I possibly could. I, We are all about, my company has always been about, what can we do to make our clients successful? And I'm always looking for the best services, the best technology, the best food, the best protocol, and the best coaches. I really think a lot of it has to do with our coaches, my coaches, and what they're offering to the clients. So that was really important to me. I really wanted to just, as I said before, not be a fad, be a really solid business, and then give it everything we could to help. Because uh, weight loss is very emotional, Mm -hmm. very emotional. And I wanted the place that we were at and the coaches to help our clients feel safe, to never feel shame. Many people come in and they are already beating themselves up and they're already feeling like a failure, but they, they come in one more time and they, they've tried many different programs that haven't worked. And so they're pretty beat up, a lot of people when they come in. And so we wanna give them that fresh start and all of that support. And again, knowing that it's okay if you have a bad week. Or a bad couple of weeks, and we're never going to shame anybody. We're again, like we talked before, let's just get up, pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off. And the coaches that I have are really remarkable. They go above and they go so far above and beyond. They're texting, they're talking, they're emailing, they're sending recipes. I've had clients call them from the grocery store. I'm in the aisle and I don't know what to get. (laughs) Help. Uh, I forgot my list, or I have a luncheon coming up this week. What do I do? What do I eat? I, I I'm so worried. We've had people that are are getting ready to have surgeries, and you know, how do I prepare for that? And then when they come back, yeah, it's just a very much a relationship business, and I think that's what we do so well. There's so many weight loss programs, and everybody's going to find what works for them, but I think we appeal to those that want that accountability and also that support and and knowledge and maintenance is probably the hardest piece of all i i ask every person that comes in to see me what do you think is harder losing weight or maintaining and i would say 99.9 say maintaining but it's so interesting because when they get to their goal we're like don't leave. Don't abandon ship because now comes the hard part where we're going to try to figure out how to eat in maintenance. And so many people just say, "Eh, no, I'm good. (laughs) I've got this.
1: Honestly, there are a lot of parallels. When we stabilize a family financially, um, the work just begins to wealth building. And it is a misunderstood concept. So I'm glad you shared that. So the personal touch and the longevity of staying in the program until it's really part of your life, the changes are part of your life. So that brings me to technology, which is everywhere today as we've just been talking about. And what technology do you think is helpful in losing weight? And how has technology changed? your industry.
2: And I've seen this coming over the past few years. So we now have an app, which took us a a took the company a little bit to get to one. You know, my Fitness Pal has been around forever and it's a great app. And I often recommend that to my clients, but now Ideal Protein has an app. So the fact that you can track your food on your phone, that a lot of foods are already in there. So you don't have to put every little thing in, you can find it. And uh, so the journaling piece is so important, but that way you don't have to have the paper journal or the little book that you carry around. You can put it all right in your phone. And uh, our app actually syncs to a dashboard. So our coaches, as they're coaching remotely, can pull it up and they can see your, your, oh, well, because the other piece of that is the scale. We have a weight scale and that syncs to the app. And that's giving metrics as well, like body fat and and things like that. And so the coaches, again, can really see what's going on with your body. Uh, We had a pretty sophisticated machine in the office that did all of that, but then, people weren't coming in, so the the scale, that really made us move to this scale and to the app. So technology, I think, can be very, very helpful. It gives you a lot more insight into what's actually going on with your body. We do so much education on that because if you go back to, again, eat less, exercise more, that's really not telling you Are you lose, if you're losing weight, are you losing fat or are you losing muscle? Because often when you're losing by just eating less, you might be putting yourself into a starvation mode and actually losing muscle and not fat. We don't want to lose muscle because muscle is the engine that burns fat. So many people, when they do starvation diets, which most of the diets out there are, which is just calorie restriction, they lose the muscle, they lose the weight, but then when they get off, they immediately gain it all back because uh, they've lost so much muscle and the body likes to store fat. We're designed to store fat, which doesn't make dieting any easier, but we're designed to store fat because in the old days, there would be a famine, there'd be feasting and famine. So feast and famine, to say that properly, spring would be feasting. Build up your fat reserves because in the fall and winter, game was scarce, food was scarce, and we would burn our fat stores. Well, of course, we don't have a famine now, unfortunately. We have nothing like that, right? We have (laughs) other
0: problems.
2: (laughs) So, knowing what's going on with your body, maintaining the muscle mass is really, really important. Otherwise, you can really get your, you can slow your metabolism, your body will hold the fat who won't understand why you're not losing. And then as soon as you come off of a starvation diet, your body says, oh, you've been starving me. I'm gonna pack the fat back on and you gain it all back. So it's it's counterintuitive for most of us. Because we've been raised thinking to eat less. (laughs)
1: Yeah, totally. Great. That's so interesting. And I have uh, used meditation since I was 16 years old, transcendental meditation, to help me calm my, my way too busy mind. And I love that you can direct meditation for other things in a specific way, which I honestly have not spent a lot of time practicing. But I know that you use meditation to support weight loss. So talk about that a little bit.
2: Great, I I was very excited to go through my uh, Deepak Chopra certification so that I could bring this to the center because I really felt like it was a missing piece. We can give the science, we can give a protocol, we can tell you what to do, you know what to do, but then there's that inner piece that gets in the way, that little monkey mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you really do want to eat that. No, I don't, yes, I do. No, I don't. <laughs> um, and and I think also when we're highly stressed, we tend to turn to food often. So really two aspects to it. There's mindfulness, which is slowing down and beginning to pay attention, becoming more conscious and aware of what we're eating. And we are so often thinking about the past and rehashing the past in our minds, or we're worrying about the future, which isn't here yet. So we can't really do anything about either one of those things. So bringing ourselves into the moment, and it's a wonderful practice in general, but specifically for mindful eating, it's paying attention to what you're eating. It's really taking that time to look at your food, to smell your food, to chew your food, to make it a sensory experience, because often if we're in a hurry, we're just gulping our food. We don't even taste it. We're in a hurry. If you're standing up, if you're sitting in front of the TV, if you're on the phone, or if you're looking at your social media, or if you are you ever eat in the car, I mean, we do all that and we're not paying any attention to what we're eating. So we may tend to overeat and not even really enjoy what we're eating. So if we can slow it down and make it an experience, even if you're completely by yourself, I suggest setting a pretty place, have a pretty dish, use a pretty wine glass, but put your sparkling water in it, put some flowers on your table, make your eating an experience and, If you're having a craving and you really want to eat something that you know you're not supposed to eat, I always say, take 10 minutes, give yourself a 10-minute pause before you eat it. Maybe you leave the room, maybe you get on your phone and look at your Facebook for a few minutes, and then you come back to it, and then you ask yourself, do I still want this? And if the answer is yes, then I say, go ahead and eat it. But slow down, take a few bites, often, after the first few bites, you realize I don't really care. I didn't really want this. So it's okay not to finish it. But if you do, that's fine. And then don't beat yourself up because you have made a conscious decision to do that. And so accept that and move on. Uh, It was a a choice. It wasn't unconscious. So there's some
1: really important nuggets in what you've shared there. One being that um, it's wasted either way, whether I throw it out in the garbage or I throw it onto my a digestive system when I didn't want it or need it. So it's wasted either way. It's not better if I eat it by not throwing it out. I, I can throw it out. That's that's something that I really struggle with. And I think the other uh, thing is just the enjoyment of food. Um, and culturally, that might be a missing piece for a lot of us. Uh, raised in a single parent home, myself, TV dinners in the 60s. And um, I had it's a- a very late in life when I've come to the appreciation of a a beautiful glass, a beautiful and small plate, a setting. I've always used cloth napkins that was instilled somehow nice, early nice. Napkin <laughs> with my TV dinner, but but it's just I, <laughs> I I just think it's really important to do what you say, take a minute and celebrate the experience of eating, which means I have to slow down, which for an American businesswoman of a certain age is actually quite the challenge. And I and I wish it wasn't.
2: It, that is so true. And I have clients that skip meals. They don't eat enough and therefore they can't lose weight either. So, right, carving out just that little bit of time, be mindful, be present for it. And again, if you choose to eat something that was off plan, you just have to say, okay, it's done. I did it. I, I made the decision. I didn't do it mindlessly. And that's okay. It's okay. And then for meditation, I, it's, all, it's all really one in the same. But if you can develop a daily practice of meditation, like I'm so, it's so awesome that you did Bonnie at such a young age, that's amazing. I wish I had back when I was in the teens, um, <laughs> but it can really help you quiet your quiet your mind and go within and uh, reduce stress. There's a lot of scientific studies just proving the health benefits of meditation. And I think most people think that they have to sit in total silence for 10 minutes, which is impossible. That our mind, well, we can sit in silence. It doesn't mean our mind is silent. Our mind is never going to stop, it just chatters and chatters away. So uh, there's different techniques for meditation. And I think with TM and the way I was taught, we were taught primordial sound. It's having a sound to focus on. And what that does is it uh, allows your thoughts to kind of develop a space between them. There's a little gap between thoughts and that's your silence. And as you meditate, you'll dip into that little bit of silence. You don't even know it's occurring because if you knew you were in silence or you were in that space, then you wouldn't, you'd be having a thought. Um, So just a little practice, even 10 minutes a day can calm you down, lower blood pressure, reduce stress, help you sleep better. There's many health benefits to it besides just Um, (laughs) so many people think they've got to sit there and be (laughs) um. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and the other thing it did for me back in the time when I started, and one of the reasons I sought it out is we had a very chaotic life at that time, a loving life inside my, my home, but very, very chaotic. And it was a way to escape without having to go anywhere. So another thing I want to ask you about is seeing a successful small business like yours, people who meet you today might not appreciate that the day that you opened, you could not have known that you would be as successful as you are. So tell me about some of the detours or setbacks that you've experienced along the way, and you know, you know, you're a mom, you're been a wife, all of that.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness, I, think I could write a whole book about it. Yes, yeah, uh, right. yeah, so I really had no idea what I was doing when I started. Uh, I had my little corporate wellness business going, which was run out of my home, and then when I got all inspired to do this. Uh, weight loss business. I, I knew I needed to to have an office and I was, I always thought that was so cool. You know, oh, I'm finally going to get out of my house. My kids are like, hurrah, we're sick of people in the house. And it was just so difficult. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't really understand commercial leases or commitments. And I just thought, I'm going to open my door and hang my shingle and people are going to flock in because I have the coolest weight loss program in town. <laughs> and I started and uh, you know that no one came in the door. <laughs> I, I, it was in January of 2010. 10 that I started and I I thought, oh good, this is January. Everybody's going to want to lose weight and they're going to just run into my doors and no one came in my door. I I like to say it was like tumbleweeds blowing through the office. (laughs)
1: But you didn't quit.
2: I didn't quit. Um, I I, I was fortunate enough to have like a six months out on this lease uh, because I was just dying. I'm like the money was just going out and nothing was coming in, and I thought, "Oh my God, what have I done?" <laughs> so at the at the six months, and I think this was probably an indicator of how I work. I I realized, okay, this isn't working. I have to I have to change. So left that space, got in a much less expensive space, and kept going. And what I learned is weight loss. I didn't really realize this because people have tried so many programs. They're highly skeptical of what's the latest and greatest new thing and why is that really going to work? I'm not so sure. So getting those first few clients in and getting some proven results, it's very much a referral business. It's, but it takes time because it's not, you don't lose weight really fast or enough so that you're willing to tell people what you're doing because everybody's thinking, I'm going to try it but I don't know if it's gonna work. I might fail. And if I start telling everybody they're gonna go, oh, here she goes again. Here she goes on the latest program. So it took time. And I was really blessed to end up with a woman coming to, to the program. She did very well on the protocol and she was very big in the Loudon Chamber She was an ambassador and she was a great saleswoman. And so she just went out there and started telling everybody. And I ended up hiring her as a coach uh, because she did the protocol so well. And I thought, oh, she lost probably 65 pounds and she was a beautiful woman. And she had a way of getting people to come in and give this a try because she could show, here's my before picture, here I am. And uh, that really turned the business around for me. We started getting people in and that was a big... uh, a big thing, and I guess it was a in the first year. It took a while. It took a while, and we were in this really little hole in the wall. Which I'm going to say, it just shows that you can have your business almost anywhere <laughs> and make it work.
1: <laughs> so, you know, you're making a really important point. One that it takes time, which it, it's so true. Referrals are earned, and that takes time. And we blow up in our minds based on stereotypes what we should do, and then look what you could do. And you did it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think that's really important. I wish I realized I was just putting all our own money into it. And I wish I had had a little bit more of some savings uh, specifically set for this because we ended up going through a lot of our savings to make it happen. And I, I wish I had known that it was going to take that time that yeah, right.
1: So we always tell people we work with a lot of small businesses and we always tell people one to three years and no one believes you. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> no, that's OK. But the other thing that maybe we'll have you back on to discuss, because much of our theme this year uh, is is small business and uh, capitalization is just misunderstood. And difficult. I'm looking in the screen, which our listeners can't see. You're a beautiful blonde woman. Which you know, the fact that you're a woman means you're not going to have the same access to capital that that you're. If you, if I was looking at a beautiful blonde man, wouldn't you know, might might have a better. So that's a challenge. The capitalization mm-hmm. and families really do put their money on the line, which yeah. is still an interesting phenomenon. And I just want people to uh, keep building small businesses. I don't wanna live in a world where we don't have small business choices.
2: Yeah, small businesses are wonderful.
1: They really are. Now, switching gears a little, our listeners know that my firm specializes in helping people navigate their finances during a divorce. And you and I have both lived through and survived divorce. It's definitely a transformation. How do you view that period of your life today in the rearview mirror? And what might you share with others that are facing that transformation?
2: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yes, my divorce was really messy. (laughs) And all along, using personal savings and using a lot of that to fund the business, I had really given all of my financial power to my ex-husband from from very early on. He really took care of all the finances and managed everything, and I had really just given that over to him. And so when I had the small business, when which I still have, uh, he was big on using that business in every way that he could for any tax advantages. And it really put a world of hurt on the business. And so when the divorce came, suddenly it was my business and it was all my fault and all my responsibility. And I had we had created it to be a woman-owned business, but he really was the financial person behind it. So that was a huge life learning event. And if I had one piece of advice, don't give away your financial powers.
1: (laughs) Couldn't agree with you more. We see it every day of the week and it is a culture, partly, and uh, something that we can teach our daughters and our sons to expect a different way to do things.
2: Yes. And so I'm very proud of myself because going through that and really hitting rock bottom, uh, going through bankruptcy was devastating for me. I almost lost the business, but I held on to it and really turned everything around, started from scratch in every way, and scared to death, scared to death, because I'd never been the primary uh, earner in the family. But looking back as it's been about seven years now, I I have full responsibility for my own finances and I will never give that up again. You know, responsible for my own taxes, my own planning. I meet weekly now with my business coach to review my financials. And I live a a comfortable life, but a careful life. But I'm very proud of myself because I really didn't know how I was gonna make it. (laughs) (laughs) at the time.
1: You really should be proud of yourself. I I could end the chat right there because you've just encapsulated what we are always trying to get people to get to. I take responsibility and I can do it. And here's how I'm doing it. So I really want to just take a moment to congratulate you on hitting a bad spot, a real bad spot that a lot of people would throw up their hands and say, I'm done. And you said, I'm gonna win this one, and I'm gonna rebuild it. So good for you! That's, Thank you. That's really important. But now that you're living the single life, and <laughs> what do you love most? We have a lot of single ladies uh, as clients in our practice, and some of them are on the precipice of getting back out there, and they are terrified. So, what do you love about the single life?
2: Well, I, I actually am not quite so single anymore. Uh, I'm a very special man in my life, but from getting back out there. In the beginning, it was it was very terrifying, but I wanted to get back out there. I wanted to have fun and, and meet people that could make me laugh and, and just enjoy a social life again. And it, especially, you know, when you're in your 50s, everything is so different. Uh, you know, I've been married 25 years and it was like a date. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Online dating, I don't know how to do this. What are the rules? <laughs> but I was fortunate to have a very good f- girlfriend and we kind of went through a lot of it together. But if I had to say what I really l- have loved about it is I can do what I want. It's I'm, I have freedom. I don't have to answer to anyone. I don't have to be responsible to someone else's moods uh, or whims or financial decisions. You know, I can go where I want to, but I've taken some fun trips uh, and just, You know, really, I think that independence, Mm -hmm. that true independence and making my own choices, you know, who I want to be with and how I want to live my life.
1: And Jennifer, would you say as part of that single life, because it can just be an unmarried life and someday that you you know, you know may even change that status by your own choice. But I mean, it feels like part of what you're saying, which I think is very, very true, is that when you pick a partner, whether it's a seasonal partner or a permanent partner, you're going your, your lens is different. You're mm. coming from a place that where you're different and the partner you choose to hang out with, whether it's for a day or a year or life meets a very different bar for you. Is that probably true?
2: Oh, 100%. I, I think I spent a lot of my marriage miserable. <laughs> but, and I would say in a victim mode, because I didn't know how to change it. I was waiting for someone to save me. I finally had to save myself. And now I, I, I want to be happy. I want to laugh. I want to have a lightness of spirit. And it was really difficult to do that before, but so now it's a choice, it's it's that choice. And that's the choice to do yoga, the choice to do meditation, that choice to eat certain ways and, and go on retreats and things that fill my spirit up. Um, so yes, and I want a partner that can, you know, make, I, I guess, make me laugh. I keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's medicine. It's good medicine to laugh. It is. You know, yeah. someone that's smart and witty and, and can take care of himself doesn't expect to have me as a, under his thumb, you know.
1: Well, you've covered some of this uh, already, but I'm curious, what story can you share with our listeners about how you know that this, your daily life, is not a dress rehearsal for something
0: better?
2: I think that will go back to my marriage, the ending of my marriage, so, I have three kids, beautiful grown kids, and I was in the marriage for a long time. And, as I mentioned, i was I think it was fairly unhappy for a lot of it. And there just came a moment. I think it was around my fifty fourth birthday, and I just thought, "Wow, is this it? Is this it? And know am I getting to that age where I just have to settle and be miserable and unhappy and worried about money all the time, or is there something more? And it was a really huge decision to end the marriage, but I didn't want to live that way anymore. And and that, that it's not a dress rehearsal. I was like, okay, I'm in my early fifties. How many years have I got left? What can I make of these years to be, to be happy? And so don't wait. I mean, but then on the other hand, you know, I did it when I could. Yeah. And I try not to beat myself up. I sometimes I think, oh, I wish I just left 10 years earlier, but I had three kids and it wasn't easy. So.
1: Well, you know, and I do think giving yourself a wide berth, everybody gets to decide for themselves what they can tolerate and when they can, when they're ready to do something different. So switching gears again, you, you've talked a little bit about some of the money problems that came from the divorce, which is also a very natural and normal experience, but you rebuilt the business. So tying the theme of money back to the small business, I feel like many people don't understand how someone in a position like yours would do that. So without getting into the gory details, can you just talk about the ability to build and run a business as a woman owner and getting capital you need and how, you know, we're in a time of PPP. How how did you get through that period?
2: Going through the bankruptcy was pretty rough and I really had to go back and renegotiate a lot of things uh, with my landlord for one. Everything was in mine and my husband's names and getting them to take him off and not expect all kinds of guarantees and cash from me. And when they you know, knew what I was going through, that, that makes everybody very leery. <laughs> but because I had been a good tenant and had good relationships, I was very, Blessed that my landlord was willing to renew with me. And we just went year to year because I was like, I don't know what five years is going to look like. Let's one year at a time. And really renegotiating with all of my vendors. Uh, so with Ideal Protein, because we were ordering large amounts of food that was expected to be paid off by credit card. Well, suddenly I have no credit cards <laughs> or they are very little limits on them. So going back to them and renegotiating with them where they gave me a credit line which was a blessing a huge blessing. So I was fortunate that I I think I had good relationships with my integrity with these people that I could renegotiate but it was it's you know it was pretty much cash.
1: <laughs> well, I think you're hitting on something that really needs a fine point and that is being a person of integrity will put you in a good place when you get to a through a bad place and need others to help you if you hadn't been a person of integrity i'm fairly certain those people would not have worked with you so that's a key point seems like a slam dunk who doesn't think they're a person of integrity but small business people who are know what that means. It means you say what you mean and you mean what you say and you do what you say you will do, even within constraints of of some tough circumstances. So I think that's critical. And look what a great bet you were. As a person of integrity, they knew you were going to rebuild and be successful.
2: Yes. And I and I had a really good team. Uh, my, my business coach who has been with me through all of this, I don't know how I would have done it without him. Uh, just, you know, that solid sounding board that was always on my side. And then, you know, good attorney, good accountant uh, to help you get through all that. And building my own team because pre-divorce, it was not my team (laughs) And uh, so with COVID, Having a, a great network of women business owners was phenomenal because we were all struggling with the same issues. How are we going to keep going? And finding out what the resources were. That the, what what is this PPP and how do I get it? And what is this uh, grant that Loudon County has? And what about this SBA disaster money? And what do we do? How do we get it? So it was it was amazing to share that information. So I would say having that a team of business owners uh, that you can network with and you know I'm all about all oh, go women. Um, <laughs> so we really help each other, I think a lot through that.
1: So I'm just going to interject here that as cruel as the COVID time period has been on women who work and have children, it's truly been a step back in many major Mm -hmm. ways. But for women business owners, there is this silver lining of we can finally get freaking capital. Yes, we have to pay it back. Or yes, we'll have to follow the um, steps to make it forgivable. But we finally have access to capital, same as anybody else. and. That silver lining will prove to have built businesses during this time period and kept them alive. So
2: certainly helped keep me going, you know, really did. And then I was able to keep my employees going as we navigated all this craziness of, oh, how do we, how do we stay in business? Right.
1: So when did you first, we'll just wrap up with the last comment about money because it's, it's our, it's our, it's our business. And we find that women in particular have interesting views on things. And I like to get the conversation comfortable for women because we're all we have money in our lives all day long so when did you first become aware of money and and what do you wish you'd been taught about money as you were growing up and you know you have a daughter you have a daughter right too so like what you know how would she benefit from having learned about money through home and school and places that we just don't talk about it
2: oh gosh i know i I really wish they taught more in school like from early on uh Uh, So I learned about money very early uh, because I had a a dad who was very much about money, a very controlling father. He was very successful. And he made sure we learned some lessons early on. I I think uh, a really funny one. It wasn't so funny at the time, but he didn't like to turn the heat on at night because he was saving money. Very frugal guy. And if we got caught turning the heat on, then we had to pay Toward the electric wow. bill out of our allowance, <laughs> and he would do the math. <laughs> He's quite the math guy, so that wasn't much fun. So we learned how to sleep uh, with our socks on because we we're so cold. <laughs> but he taught me how to balance checkbook from an early age, so those were really good lessons. He he did instill a lot, but he was very too controlling. I think through it, um, not letting us kind of learn on our own. He wanted to micromanage every aspect, which really takes away a lot of your power. And I think it took, that's why I think I abdicated so much power when I went into my marriage, because it's what I knew. My dad had all the financial power and in, in his marriage. My mother had none. She she was one of those women who would go to the grocery store and, and write a check to pay for groceries, but would write it for more so that she could get that, little difference in her pocket uh, and he wouldn't know just like like we atm today right i i
1: I paid 200 (laughs) in groceries but 100 of it went to cash in my pocket so i've got
2: something Right, right right yeah exactly exactly so she was always you know trying to wheel and deal behind the scenes to get what she wanted or get things for us because he was so like tough he was really brutal with money and and kept us all on a very tight leash so having that as a model and i and i look at that and feel kind of like, wow, I think I did a lot of the same modeling for my daughter, but I do know that my daughter, having seen what I went through, she just bought her first house all by herself, oh, her. and I am so proud of her. She's, you know. So I'm like, okay, I think I did something right. So we're all of course going. you did, and you
1: have sons, and I have sons, and yep. and whenever yep. we're talking about cultural changes with girls and boys or men and women, we actually think. I mean, I feel like for my sons, when if when they're partnered up, having a woman who knows about money and is willing to take on some of those responsibilities is a godsend in terms of not having as a son, as a man to take on everything. So for mm-hmm. certain people, it feels like it's a wonderful thing to have a more equal sharing of rules versus the, you do everything on this, I'll do everything on that, which is perfectly acceptable to some people. But when we end things, that presents a very big hill to climb
2: it sure does, I, and, and I was a stay-at-home mom for many years, and it was very much that he handled the finances, I handled the housework, and I swore that wasn't gonna be who I was. Because that's who my mother was, and I swore I was going to be different. You know, who takes the trash out? Who gets the cars serviced? So then, all of a sudden, you're single, and you're like, "Oh God, <laughs> I have no idea what to do with this car. <laughs> I got to get inspected. Right. That's an inspection. <laughs> I
1: know. I'm, mine always, mine always is late, but that's okay. Well, I, I really want to thank you so much for your time and your insights and your wisdom. It, it's a lot to share, and I really appreciate you sharing the the tough spots as well as the high points because. This is not a dress rehearsal and we're all showing up to get the most out of a day that we can. So I wish you continued happiness and success. And if you'd like to learn more about Jennifer and the work she's doing, helping others get healthy, go to https colon forward slash forward slash www.thenumber7company.com. So that website is the thenumber77company.com.
2: Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Bonnie.
0: This podcast and any related material is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, investment, or other professional advice. For professional advice in any realm, contact the appropriate professional. We assume no representation or warranty express or implied for accuracy or completeness of content. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the podcast and disclaim all liability in respect of such information, but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Links to external websites are provided solely for your convenience. We accept no responsibility for any linked sites or their contents. Use of this podcast and its content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.